And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves taking their kids to the airport. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it ever beautiful here today. It's a great day. And uh, the Colonel and I are not on Milleronia, and there's a reason for that, and it's because... Well, coming up in a few days, I'm going to be taking one of our kids to the airport. And I'll tell you about that later and why that's so wonderful. And uh, But boy, oh boy, and that's always the music makes me feel so good. And the same with Colonel Jeff that, uh, of course, that's the Dave Osborne Orchestra and the Martha Ruggles Bernard Dancers featuring boy tenor Mike Lucking asking the musical question, When TVs are smart enough to sense our level of interest and change the channel, will we all wind up watching the green woman dancing in Star Trek? First of all, yes. Yes, Mike. Yes, yes, and yes, and just yes. Mike, you always send us terrific questions, and do you know what? You might just have hit here on the greatest sexual moment in all of show business history. And let's be honest, we all know something about show business history. But that's that's just on Star Trek. There's a reason, by the way, I love Star Trek, and I and I love the the Captain Kirk Star Trek, the William Shatner Star Trek. Yes, I'm lucky enough. I've worked with him several times on uh, that show, Boston Legal, and I just dug him so much. Even when the camera was on him, I was just standing there grinning, looking at him just two feet away, thinking, I'm working with William Shatner. And uh, at any rate, though, uh, there's one of those, two of those episodes, when Captain Kirk goes down to the planet with, uh, well, the the usual guys, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy, and uh, a new guy who's definitely going to get killed. Colonel Jeff and I have said that before on the show. There's always, all right, uh, all right, uh, Bones, you come with us and get make sure you have all the equipment. And uh, Mr. Spock, yeah, you come with us too. And we need, let's see, uh, Johnson, you over there in the red shirt. <laughs> uh, you come down too. Uh, are you sure, sir? I was gonna, I was gonna meet with the dance committee for the ball. This, no, 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 you're coming down with us because he knew Johnson knew that. First of all, you get a name like Johnson. Come on, just come on, and you know that. Uh, all right, Johnson, go around that big rock there and see if there are any flowers that poof powder into your face. <laughs> but at any rate, all that aside, and I love all that anyway, and fighting monsters, but there were people who tried to con Captain Kirk. There were evil planet guys who tried to make him think, either through hypnosis or just showing him things. And one was the gorgeous green woman dancing at their dinner. They're all lying on the floor. They're on pillows. And it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty old Middle Eastern kind of harem setup. 
Well, not a harem. She was the only woman, I think. But, boy, she does that dance, and I'm telling you, yes, Mike, you hit it. That's one of the greatest moments in show business to me. She does a dance that's a holy mackerel dance. Never mind the seven dance of the seven veils. Forget the seven veils. She didn't need them. She was working, wearing kind of a, I guess, a two-piece thing, a bikini thing. That was probably green, too. And they painted her all green as if she's a green woman. And they, they were supposed to be like the, the best in sex in all the universe, which is some pretty good competition, I would think, by the way. If you're, you get the blue ribbon in the entire universe, well, you got to be doing something, right? Don't you? But boy, she does it, that dance. I can't remember. Does she have little finger symbols or, but she doesn't even, she's doing something, just touching her fingers or with castanets or something. And of course, she's, well, She's looking right at Captain Kirk. She wants Captain Kirk because he has the blue ribbon in other ways, too. I don't know what they are. Never mind. But she does. And boy, oh, boy. So, Mike, you hit it. Yes. When TVs are smart enough to sense our level of interest and change the channel, will we all wind up watching the green woman dancing in Star Trek? Yes. If you haven't seen her... You'll like it. Watch it. And man or woman, it doesn't matter. Even women watching her would have to say, say she's all right. I mean, uh, she, there's the reason she got the blue ribbon. And uh, maybe they gave her a green ribbon. But boy, oh boy. Good one, Mike. And I mentioned the Dave Osborne Orchestra there. And that's uh, remembering and in the name of Super Dave Osborne. And uh, the wonderful actor and comedian who played him and so many others, the great Bob Einstein, who passed away just a couple of days ago, a few days ago. And uh, he was, God bless him, what a talented guy. Whew. Six four, six five, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, a good looking guy. I'm not the best judge of who's a good-looking guy. I think Colonel Jeff and I are really good-looking guys, you know. But Bob Einstein, God bless him, he was so funny and he was so cool to know. Just to, I, I, I was telling Colonel Jeff, I ran into him in a car dealership, a Cadillac dealership, and in the area here, and he was in one of the little salesman offices there, buying a car. So you can see they got forms all over the desk there. And, of course, the salesman, understandably, just wants to sell the car. He's not looking for two friends to say hi to each other. He's saying to himself, let's move this along before he changes his mind. But he was sitting there, and I, and I saw him, and I just stood in the door and said, hi, Bob. And he said, oh, hi, Larry. What's up? And I said, well, everything's okay. I liked him so much. I didn't want to leave the doorway. That's how really cool he was and how naturally funny he was. So I really had to say to myself, after about 30 seconds or a minute, okay, Larry, leave. Time to say goodbye and let let this guy sell him a car. <laughs> so at any rate, Bob... You're always great. 
and uh, I bet you still are. And by the Larry Miller Store. That's right, the Larry Miller Store. I didn't even have to underline that. I'm Larry Miller, you know, to say that's right, the Larry Miller Store. But folks, we have a great store, and uh, to get there, by the way, you go to uh, our website, which is Larry Miller Podcast dot com who's on the mountain tom mix oh forgive me i should have had the fish but you know something <laughs> i don't know why i love i love saying that the oldest joke in history maybe and it just tickles me i, I hope some of you too at any rate uh the larry miller store there's a banner there on our website Go to the Larry Miller store. We have great things to buy, great things, great gifts. It's got great stuff. And the T-shirts are just terrific. Keep calm and Larry on on one of them. And uh, so please go there and do that. It'll make us very happy if you buy a bunch of things. And by the way, what better time than after all major holidays to go out and buy something? Uh, in any case, do that, folks. Go to the Larry Miller store, and uh, we'll be glad you did. And that brings me to my uh, favorite part of the show, and it's called The Joke of the Week. This is a good one, too. I uh, just remembered it as we were sitting here, and I said to, to Colonel Jeff, uh, hey, one just popped into my head. And uh, he liked it. We both like it. And uh, I hope you do, too. It's in the middle of World War II, around 1943. And in the heart of Berlin there, in uh, in a pub, in a restaurant, a grill, that's, well, right there, right there where everything is, there's uh, two Jewish rebels come in. And they'd escaped from concentration camps. And they were dressed as German workers. And they came in walked up to the bar there and ordered a couple of beers, and to look around, they were very successful. And uh, they had really come to, well, after escaping from those camps, and uh, they were blowing up bridges and blowing up trains and, and really, you know, blowing up train tracks, and they were really do and killing a lot of Nazis. And they were doing a heck of a job. And they're standing at the bar there, and it's a Tuesday night, it's about 8 o'clock, and uh, they're just about to, well, order dinner there. And uh, they're not working that night, so they need to relax. And uh, suddenly the door opens, they glance over, and who walks in? Hitler. Adolf Hitler walks right in there, and he's got four of his generals with them in uniform and two bodyguards, and they walk up three or four steps into another little area there. That's where all the tables are. And the, these two rebels, the two Jewish guys, just glance at each other and just, they can't believe it. That's him. It's Hitler. And the bartender's standing right there, and he and he chuckles a little and says to them, you have oh, the same look everyone has. Says, yes, that's him. That's the Fuhrer. That's, that's Hitler. And he come, you know, comes in here every Tuesday at 8 and uh, to have dinner with his men. And, uh, well, uh, we're glad he does. And, but... Uh, your look of surprise is always uh, always interesting, and the two two fellows just nod. They're a little shocked by all this, and they can't quite handle what's going on. And uh, they finish their beers and uh, and walk out. 
They're not even armed. They didn't know they were going to see something this astonishing. So comes next Tuesday, and as the bartender said, well, they might as well check this out, and next Tuesday, it's a quarter to eight, they go back into the same place, walk up to the same bar, order another beer, and standing there, and sure enough, at eight o'clock on the dot, the doors open, same thing, in walks Adolf Hitler, four generals, two bodyguards, and they go up to the, the few steps to the same table and sit down there and get rid of every Oh, and everyone just just flutters around them, and they're, they're so happy, and then they're getting ready to order their dinner. And now, well, the two rebels are still at the bar. Now they look at each other. The bartender laughs again. I told you, every Tuesday, 8 o'clock, on the dot. And, uh, and they uh, do again. They smile, and they, they walk out again. And now... They go to the little hovel in a tenement that they've been using as a, as their house, as their base. And they look at each other and they say to each other, well, we've got to kill him. That's that. It doesn't matter what happens to us. Those other fellows will probably get us. But we have to go right up there with our pistols and empty them into that so-and-so and just kill Hitler right there next Tuesday at 8. And there's not even a discussion. There's, well, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should do this. They both realize, yes, of course, that's what we're doing. So next Tuesday comes, and it's quarter to eight. And, well, the two Jewish rebels walk into the place, and they also go up the few steps to the eating area where there are tables all around. And they grab another table, and they order their dinner, waiting for Adolf Hitler. And there it comes, it's five to eight, and a seven fifty eight, seven fifty nine, eight o'clock, this is it, and nothing happens, no one comes in. That's they're a little thrown, that's eight o'clock, and they look at each other, eight oh one, eight oh two, no Hitler. Nobody. And now it's eight oh five, eight oh seven, eight oh eight eight oh eight ten, eight twelve, and Finally, one of the Jews turns to the other one and says, gee, I hope nothing happened to him. <laughs> I hope you like that one. Colonel Jeff and I got a kick out of it. It's it's one of those great jokes that's a little silly. And suddenly, well, they're not two really successful, tough rebels. It's two guys from Brooklyn in 1950. Gee, I hope nothing happened to him. <laughs> anyway folks as always if you like that pass it on and keep good jokes alive pass it on to your family and loved ones and friends and uh, that brings me to my second favorite part of the show the poetry corner There's a reason I mentioned before that uh, the dancers were Martha Ruggles Bernhard dancers. And that's the woman who was the wife of the author of this poem coming up. And the author is John Updike, who was, uh, well, a great American novelist. He lived from 1932 to 2009. And probably his most famous work is his series of the Harry Rabbit Angstrom, 
books like Rabbit Run, Rabbit Redux, Rabbit is Rich, and Rabbit at Rest. He did so much, and he wrote this poem, and I'm happy to read it to you now. It's called January by John Updike. The days are short, the sun a spark, hung thin between the dark and dark. Fat snowy footsteps track the floor. Milk bottles burst outside the door. The river is a frozen place held still beneath the trees of lace. The sky is low, the wind is gray. The radiator purrs all day. Isn't that nice? A look through John Updike's eyes at January. Boy, I loved also when poems written decades and decades ago. He talks about the the milk bottles bursting outside the door. Oh, that's right. Well, wait a minute. That's right. Sure, we. I mean, when I was a kid, a little kid, we got milk delivered too in the milk box outside the door, and you'd get one or two quarts, and you would get whatever you want, some butter and you know, or cream or buttermilk or something like that in the milk box, which was tin or metal and covered up. But thinking about how do you like that? That's right. On a really cold day in the winter, well, they would burst. It was that cold. So folks were kind of used to that. But it's a nice image to think of for a poem like that. Thank you, John. And thank you, Martha Ruggles Bernhard. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M.M.M., The Magic Movie Moment. My favorite piano note. All right, now, it's uh, this is a terrific movie. And uh, it's there are so many movies that have Rio in them. There's uh, uh, Rio Bravo and uh, Rio... Rio oh... Now I can't even think of them. There are so many movies there that in Rio Grande and uh, oh, so many different things. And this is a great one from 1959, Rio Bravo, directed by Howard Hawks. What a wonderful director, starring John Wayne, Walter Brennan, Dean Martin, Ricky Nelson, Ward Bond, Claude Akins, and Angie Dickinson. Boy, oh boy, this might have been her first movie. She was 18 years old when she shot this. And a terrific actress and gorgeous. And this is, it's a terrific movie. So much fun and, and tell, hold, tells a really serious story and its plot of how to keep a prisoner and where his brother is going to try and break him out. And uh, Ricky Nelson is one of the greatest names in movie moviedom, I, I love character names, but uh, Colorado Jones, you know, it's just one of those. And they use it in the movie. Well, tell me, Colorado, what are you doing here now? And just to, and, uh, but it seems to work. It just works fine for me, and I think it works fine for all of us. You don't, you don't think to yourself, what a knuckleheaded name. No, they get they had names like that, and a lot of times guys would take the name or get the name of where they were from. That's where you get guys like, hey, Tex. Well, where's he from? Well, where do you think? Texas. And uh, But this is a terrific movie, folks. And uh, there's great drama in it. 
And also, well, there's great comedy in it. Walter Brennan, what a great actor. And he was just terrific with John Wayne and everything they did together. And, well, Dean Martin was always great. And there's a scene where they're in the sheriff's office there, and, well, who do you think the sheriff is? That's John Wayne. And uh, they're waiting for the for this to happen to see if they're going to get attacked in the office there. But they're, they're all in there, meaning, well, John Wayne, Walter Brennan, Dean Martin, Ricky Nelson, and... Uh, they're, they're waiting, and uh, Dean Martin sings a song that uh, Ricky Nelson plays guitar on, and, uh, and that was, was that part of the reason he was in the movie, to, to sing? Sure, of course, why not, though? In those days, well, Ricky Nelson is a big star. He was probably 18, too. And uh, the song is called My Rifle, My Pony, and Me. And it's a great song, and it's it's very it's pretty, and it's a well I'm talking about a cowboy's wishes and what he wants. Well, my rifle, my pony, and me, and uh, they sing it there. Dean Martin sings it, and the way it's shot, the way Howard Hawks does this, is just right. There's Walter Brennan bobbing his head to the music, and on a close up, and with a smile, he's happy. Because it's a it's a nice moment as a break from the danger all around them, and everyone else the same thing. John Wayne is nodding and rolls himself a cigarette and takes a hit off it and sits there. And uh, you know what, folks? That to me is a real magic movie moment. In the middle of great drama, they can sing a song like that. And all the characters get, well, they get a five or ten minute break that they really need. So, see that movie if you haven't. I've seen it, Lord, many times. But it's worth it every time. It has one of the greatest last lines of any movie I know. I don't want to ruin it for you just by saying the line. But uh, I will tell you it involves... It involves Dean Martin and Walter Brennan on patrol after the great drama is done. And uh, John Wayne is upstairs in a hotel room with Angie Dickinson. And they care about each other. They already love each other. And when I say up there, I don't mean they're in bed together, pawing each other. I mean they're up there and uh, he's getting to take off a garter she's wearing because that's a, that's a little too low grade for him. And he does that and uh, tosses it out the window and it lands right at the feet of uh, Dean Martin and Walter Brennan. In any case, see the movie, and I think you'll feel the same way I do. And you know something? To feel good like that means the world. And because every so often, you know, uh, maybe you're like me on this, you, you, things happen in the street. And when you're driving or in a supermarket and you and you keep thinking, what's wrong with people? Why did this guy just do that? Why did she just do that? And you know what? Something happened to me just yesterday that has happened 50 times. It happens, it seems to me, and maybe it's happened to you. I, I, it has to have happened to you. 
I'm on a street here, right in our neighborhood, and uh, it's two lanes, one one way, one the other way, and then there's parking on either side of each lane. It goes plant, it's apartment houses and uh, low ones, two two floors, three floors, and uh, as I'm on there, there's a guy who's tailgating me, and this is I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Now, there's no traffic on this street. It's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit, and I'm doing what I always do, which is go to the speed limit. So I'm doing 35. Not good enough for him. Okay? And he's a youngish fella, 30s or 40s, and he's got a a fancy black car, uh, a Mercedes. And uh, 35 is not fast enough for him. So he's now, he comes up to me, and he's right on me, and he's tailgating me, and I don't like that anyway. You wouldn't like that anyway. And I I did what I always do. I put my blinkers on to go to the right and just just pulled over to where the parking cars are and let him go by, which he does. He scoots right by. He roars by. I don't know where he thinks he's going, but he roars by, and I, there was no one behind him, so I just put my blinker on the other way and check the mirrors, and, you know, then I go back out onto the same road, going the same way, right behind him. But obviously, I'm not, it's not my nature to, what am I going to do now, tailgate him? That, that That's not what happens. But, folks, what happened was, and this happens not, well, not sometimes, not gee, a lot of the time, every single time. This guy is now in front because he had a roar past me. I'm behind him, and as we're going, there are five or six traffic lights, well, at the regular spaces of a traffic light. And every single one, this guy is stopped at the red light, and I'm right behind him. You must know this feeling. This must have happened to you. Now, this, all right, thank God, you know, you don't get outraged. You're not going to go... You know, would grab a, an axe out of your trunk if you have one and start smashing his windows. But every single light, he's there and at the red light in front, at the red light in front of me. And then I just come up behind him at this. And that's how we went down the road together. And the, I, don't, I can't tell you what, how often that's happened. And that lives in that. What's wrong with people world? Because this has also been a very happy, joyous time. One of our kids has been home uh, from college. He's in college and he flew home. He's been home a while, three, four weeks in between the uh, terms, interterm. And uh, boy, it's just been great. He's been home every day has been fabulous. Now, I'm not exaggerating by saying that. What do you mean fabulous? Well, he's gone out most nights, and uh, in fact, he just came in while we were taping here just to wave goodbye, and I just made sure he has enough money, and for gas, he borrows my car, and which is fine, which is great. I'm And I'm always up when he comes home to say, just to say goodnight, and I like doing that. And he's told me before, you don't have to Wait up, and I know that. Sometimes he's home a little late, one or two, or sometimes even three. 
and he always goes to the same place, a friend of his house, as a house there, and two or three of the other fellows are there. They all knew each other from high school. And But I'm telling you, that's that's fabulous. How is that not wonderful? Because that's the kind of thing that means the most to me, and I hope it means the most to you, that the dogs both love him, and they wait for him too, and they curl up on his bed when he's watching something on his laptop. But they're great. They look like, you know, two carved dogs on a building. And they sit there at the foot of the bed, just the paws out. They look like two sphinxes. And I love it. And he he always comes into our bedroom just before going out, or this time down here to the studio at Stately Miller Manor. And uh, we just take a break for a few seconds. I can hold his hand for just a couple of seconds, which means the world to me. And again, I'm not exaggerating. It means the world to me. If you said, supposing instead of that, you could be out at a fancy restaurant with uh, just a bucket of gin and a giant steak being delivered to your table, uh, wouldn't you rather do that? No. No, I wouldn't. I, I don't even know what that means. No, I want to be here when he comes in to say goodnight and when I can say, okay, uh, drive safely. I'll see you later. That means the world. Uh, and it's it's fun to have fun with a kid you care about that much. Our other son, as I've mentioned before, is deployed. He's a Marine. And I love him so much I can't stand it. And uh, it's the same with uh, my wife. His mom just, uh, we just love the kids. And uh, he and I, by the way, uh, he and my wife went to a movie tonight while we were getting ready to record. And that meant that when they got home again, I got to smile at both of them again. And we could take a tiny break, not just in the recording, but we hadn't started yet, but where my wife can say hi to Colonel Jeff and, and joke around about this and that, and then I can uh, smile with them and then see my son and... Uh, and then he'll say, okay, I'm going to head out now. I'm just going to go up and wash up. Good. Okay, great. They had a good time at the movie. And and uh, you know what? And he and I, a few weeks ago, went to see a play together. My wife saw it with her sister who was down here visiting us. And uh, boy, they loved it. And I, do, I don't want to tell you the name of the play. Uh, so uh, my kid and I went there and uh, we got good tickets. And, uh, you know, it's hard to tell with theaters anyway. They had tickets. They're about 20 rows up or something, or 20, 25 rows up, which are fine. They're right in the middle of the house. But, you know, at that point, it's, you still can't see anything. I don't know about you, but you want to say, so is that guy smiling or is his tongue sticking out? But, you know what? The truth is, it was, uh, the play was so bad. Why am I whispering now? It's not a secret. But it really was. We didn't like it at all. And when intermission came, we just walked out the few feet under the side there into a, a lobby-type area. You know, there's a bathroom. So we went to use the bathroom, washed up, and came back out. And, you know, we both said, I looked at him, and he said, can we get out of here now? And I said, I know, I know, I know. 
mommy got us the seats and uh, we paid for this and that. And, you know, I, uh, gee, I hate to just, just run. And, uh, you know, and I said, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't like a second of this. And I said, so we made a, a deal. I said, I'll tell you what, let's just go back inside for the start of intermission. And after a minute or two, if it's the, just the same or even worse, you know, let's then we'll just uh, I'll look at you, you look at me, and we'll just we'll leave, which is what we did. We we left. It was the, the second act was well, I thought even worse than the first, and so did he. And we weren't being overcritical. I mean, we just said, all right, you know, let's get out of here. So we did. And that's a good time, by the way. You don't want to leave things like a, a big play. But if you do, that's a great time to go to the parking lot because it's a building that has like seven or eight floors, but you're not in a crowd of people going to their cars, just you going to your car. And when you get in your car, well, there's no traffic jam trying to get to the exit ramp. It's just you going to the exit ramp. So that worked out fine. And... uh we got home. It's funny. My wife said, uh, wow, so you had a good night. What would you think? And my kid and I had already uh, arranged to say the truth, which means, that, in other words, that uh, he was great. And you know what? And she said, wasn't he? And I said, yeah, you know, absolutely. And so it didn't quite need to come out that, by the way, if you notice, we're home really early. But uh, that's the way it is. Well, we weren't hiding anything, you know, and uh, we told her that night and just, uh, eh, I didn't care for it, really. But how wonderful to do that with your kid who's home. And so he's flying back to school on Saturday, and I get to drive him to the airport, which I also just love. That's another moment like that in life. Well, is that a chore? No. Is that annoying? No. Wait. What's wrong with a ride to the airport? He puts his bag in the trunk, and you get in there smiling, and I tell him, you know, if you want, just to put the seat back there and take a snooze, and he, he doesn't need to do that, and just uh, he can put some music on if he wants. Or we can just chat a little bit. Folks, there is nothing better in the world. Once again, the fanciest restaurant on a big fancy island where you have your own, what, mansion? Would, would that be any better? No. No, it wouldn't be at all. And I know that. And you know it, too. Because we know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you... Folks, the game's over and you've won. Remember that. And you know what? Drive someone to the airport. We'll see you next time. <laughs>